continues in John 6 uh, from verse 25 through to verse 59. Uh, Again, in the Bibles and the seats, 1116. John chapter 6, verse 25 to 59. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you were looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, What miraculous signs then will you give that we might see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate manna in the desert. As is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. At this the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And the Jews began to argue sharply amongst themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life in you. 
Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. May God give us the understanding of the reading of his word. Uh, I'd like to start out with a very brief advertisement or maybe a reiteration, a reinforcement of what was already mentioned to you this morning. In your bulletin, you have Making Good Marriages Better course. I would like to really encourage you to attend that. Encourage your fellow parishioners to attend that. And if they can't afford to go, offer to pay it. Ten years ago, I finished a doctorate in the area of divorce recovery, having to define what marriage is, because you have to do that before you talk about what the dissolution is. And in a panel of five PhDs, I had to defend the research. The research actually that was done by somebody else, but I verified it. That the divorce rate actually in the Christian church, and I'm glad you're sitting down, is 3% higher than it is in the world. When I ran as part of my research program, a divorce recovery program in our church, more than half of my church came forward and said, this is the first time that I ever felt safe to identify myself as a formerly divorced person. Folks, it's, it's, it's a real challenge. And um, most of our ministers or all of our ministers, so Chris, you'll have the opportunity to uh, respond to this, Chris and John, uh, will be sending out a survey form to all of the ministers. And uh, I only have the addresses for session clerks to ask them to respond on, it's anonymous, we're not going to track you down, but how good is your marriage and are there areas that somebody could help you make it better? More than half in the Christian church are divorced. Yet in Malachi, it says God hates divorce. He does. It has happened since the beginning of time and it will continue to happen until the Lord returns. But folks, let's set an example to the community. We talk about evangelism. Let's do evangelism. Let's do lifetime evangelism by showing people what a good, godly, sound Christian marriage is like. Let's set the example for our children. We had a long scripture reading and you would think I'd have about 12 points to make In my uh, message this morning in seminary, we were told to in crafting a sermon, you have to have three good points. So you tell people what your three good points are. Then you preach through the scripture. You exegete those points and then you tell them what you told them. I've only got one point, so you shouldn't have a difficult time remembering it. Now, I will use scripture and you're going to have a large history lesson here. And I've got to say that I I know nothing about the culinary arts. I can't pick. But I'm going to be talking about the greatest gift that you have ever received. And that is the gift of Jesus Christ, the bread of life. 
Jesus Christ, the person through whom each one of us has our salvation, if we trust in him. If we become a child of the king, if we know that Jesus Christ is Lord of our lives, that's it. He's the bread of life. He's the most important. I want to take a journey into history. And in order to better grasp maybe some of the things that are are said in Scripture, we know that if we look at Scripture, particularly the Old Testament, things are said oftentimes in what they call Hebrew idioms. Hebrew idioms are, are sayings that are best understood by people of that culture. And I want to bring to you this morning a little bit better understanding of what the people heard when they heard Jesus numerous times. And others say that he's the bread of life. There's been a lot of confusion on that over the centuries. And even the Roman Catholic Church has confused it. They've muddled it to the point where, where they would say that you're literally transforming. They call it transubstantiation. The bread or the wafer into the literal blood and body of Jesus. I want to look at what it's all about. And uh, maybe you had some of this this morning. But I'm going to be speaking about bread. I will tell you, I've never baked a loaf of bread in my life, and I don't have it on my bucket list of things to do. But when I think about bread, it's, it's wonderful when it's sliced and it's used to hold things together. We call it a sandwich. We can toast it. We can use it to stuff turkey or chicken. We can use the flour of the bread, the flour that the bread is made out of to, to coat things and, and cook it and maybe make it a little bit nicer to eat. But we can live without it. There's many people today that have a disorder, that have an illness that's called celiacs. They're intolerant to the gluten that's in the bread. Bread is not all that important to us. Although in some families, uh, my mother's from a Hungarian culture, uh, on a special festive day, you look three or four different types of bread. We can physically live without it. But again, I want you to go on a journey with me, even a couple of thousand years and more, and see how important it was. And when we look at Jesus saying that he's a bread of life, I want you to see how penultimate it is, how essential it is, how important it is that we see Jesus as the source of our salvation, there is no other. Jesus, being the bread of life, says it all, the gospel, in a few words. In biblical days, at the center of life during the times of Jesus, stood stalks of grain. You can go out in our fields now and see it. Without bread. There was no life. We can see that in Scripture. You can see the importance of the wheat. It was like the old McDonald's or, or Burger King or, you know, uh, Hungry Jacks. People would walk along the fields when they were travelers. They'd grab some of the heads. They'd rub it together and they would eat the, the grain. The grain of the wheat was very essential. Without bread, there is no life. It's no accident that the most famous prayer 
or the prayer that we call the Lord's Prayer, I'm going to call it the Disciples' Prayer, says what? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Give us this day our daily bread. Daily bread. One day at a time. The one third back before the days of Christ, during the time of Christ that everybody ate was bread. It was made that very day in most cases, and it was eaten at every meal. The ordinary food of an average Hebrew of Bible times was limited in other areas, but it was basically bread. If they were fortunate, if they were wealthy enough, if they had some trees or or plants growing, they may have some olives. They may be able to eke out a little bit of their budget to get a small bit of oil. They may get some cheese from their flocks, fruits and vegetables from the orchards and gardens, and meat on a very, very rare occasion. But the mainstay was bread. When a stranger or guest entered a room, or when a feast was made, when people came in, and particularly in this area of Syria, and we know that now for for the turmoil that they're in, oftentimes the people would not even get up and greet them until they had finished eating, or ask them to come over and eat with them because they would not want to leave the bread. There was a sort of a a mystical or a spiritual element to it because they knew that it was the, the food element that sustained life. They also had some fruits such as pomegranates and grapes as well as nuts, almonds, and even pistachio nuts. It sounds like a well balanced meal. But folks, the average person, more than three quarters of the people, had no access to that. They ate bread. It was the main sustenance. And for those that had a little bit more access, they would make a paste of some of these things, the fruits and the vegetables. They'd put something in it to make it a little bit more savory, and they would use a bread spoon to dip in and eat. But that was the flavoring for the bread. It wasn't the meal. The bread was the meal. For you and I today, for Christians for 2,000 years, the meal. The spiritual meal. The eternal life is through Jesus Christ. The essential nature of bread was reflected in the name of the rest of the meal. Now, you don't have to remember this, but it was opsum or condiment. It was called by the nature of the word, the bread's accompaniment. Your meal is the bread, and it may be accompanied by some of those other small things. In the Middle Ages, bread was not just a staple food. Oftentimes, it was the piece of, uh, I'll call it a plate or a bowl. It was an absorbent plate or a bowl. Food was put on it and eaten. And after the meal, they would eat the bread with the juices of whatever or the fruit syrup that was put on it. They would give it to the poor. And some commentators state in the world of that day that three quarters of the people lived entirely on bread with just an occasional treat. 
Do you see where I'm going, the essential nature of bread? I'm trying to bring you into the world that would have been hearing the words of Jesus, the people that would have seen the miracles, the people that would have heard his words, the people that would have been offended by his words. They would have understood that by saying he is the bread of life, that he is the essential element to sustain life. Plato, in 400 years before Christ pictured the ideal state, I, I can't picture this. I like other foods too much. You can see that by my profile. But Plato said that um, if a man lived to be a healthy old age, it was because he ate whole wheel, wholemeal bread ground from local wheat. Importance of bread. The trade of the baker is one of the oldest crafts in the world. You thought it was something else. Bread has been found in Egyptian tombs. You can see some in the British Museum and the Egyptian galleries baked thousands of years ago, although you probably wouldn't want to eat it now. The Egyptian grammarian and philosopher Athanasius in 300 B.C. wrote that the best bakers were from Phoenicia or Lydia, and the best bread bakers were from Cappadocia. He lists the sorts of bread that were common in his time, both the unleavened and the leavened breads made from the best flowers, from the best wheat flowers. It was made with groats or rye or some acorns and some millet. A historian thinking to make a major writing on bread? Can you see the importance and the competition between cities, who makes the best bread? God made the best bread. Jesus, the bread of life. The only one that can forgive us our sins. The only one that can open the doors of heaven for us when we die. The Bible and in its culture, one used such an expression of eating bread as eating a whole meal. It wouldn't come for a roast beef dinner. Come for a full meal. Come and sample the bread that I have. And if you were poor, it was probably barley bread, which wasn't as nutritious as the original wheat breads. And even at the time of Christ, there was barley bread, wheat bread, and there were two cities or two areas that made a different kind of wheat. So the wheat that was the whitest was for the people that had the money. Wheat grain made into flour was the choice meal. And believe it or not, it was the food of the upper class. This must have been either a creative person to invent this or somebody that was very desperate. But in 2010, a study was done by the National Academy of Sciences and they discovered traces of starch like roots, like cattails and ferns, the roots which would have been peeled and dried before they were made into flour with water. And finally, the paste would have been cooked on rocks and eaten. I don't know about you, Chris, but I, I don't want ferns and cattails in my bread. 
but it has been at the center of life. When Jesus performed the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, and if you notice, it says the feeding of 5,000 men. There were women there. There were children there. Some of the estimates are there were 12,000 people. Think of that. A city following him. He said, I have compassion on the multitude because they continue with me now. And it's been three days and they have nothing to eat. And I will not send them away fasting. He's not going to send them away hungry. Lest they faint away. We can see that in Matthew 15. But on the third day, only the three loaves and a few small fish were left. A little boy's lunchbox. You can see in those days, historically, if somebody went on a trip into the desolate areas, it was customary, traditional. It was necessary that they would carry at least one day and probably two days worth of food. This is the third day into the journey. People were getting hungry. If we go back to Luke, we can see that uh, the disciples all came to him and said, Jesus, what are we going to do? We're going to have to send these people away to the local local towns and villages to get lodging and food. And I think Jesus was just testing them. You little faith, what do you think I can do? I spoke of the sacredness of bread. Some Palestinians are brought up to think that bread is having a mystic, sacred meeting. And in some places, they have such a reverence for bread that, as I said, they won't rise for a guest. Um, nothing gets thrown out in the bread. It will, be, it will be respectfully consumed. There's an Eastern custom of breaking bread and not cutting it. We can see that in Scripture speaking about breaking the bread. And some churches would take an entire loaf and as it passes before you, you tear a piece off it. In Palestine, some might say, they never put a knife to bread, holding it to be so absolutely wicked to cut it, but they break it in pieces because to cut it would be like cutting themselves or cutting human flesh. Feeding of the 5,000, Jesus said, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. The disciples knew that they didn't have enough money to buy food for all those people. And get this, John has already read it to you. He asked Philip, where could they buy bread? Now, Jesus was, uh, uh, Philip, <coughs> now Jesus was uh, testing him. He already knew how he was going to feed them. Philip said that it cost 200 denarii to buy enough bread for each person. Just have a little bit, maybe a little shred of a a sandwich, just a little piece. was the average wage for a day's work. 200 denarii would be like seven or eight months for the average worker, for everybody to have a small snack. Please hear this. Times change. Famine, supply and demand. But some estimate that back at the time of Christ, it took 60% of a man's wage to feed his family. That was it. In small amounts, in simple form, mostly bread, 60% of your wage. 
And here comes this man that, that is feeding people, thousands of people. There's no cost. You're getting fish. You're getting filled. There's 12 baskets left over when you're done. Let's follow him around and eat forever. Maybe they were thinking that if we just eat his food, 60% of my pay could be used for some other thing. Maybe to order foxtail or something. Whatever they did back in those days. Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter, told Jesus there was a boy in the crowd who had lunch. A lad or someone who cared for him had planned ahead and put together five barley loaves of bread and two small fish. There's lots of grass in the area. Jesus said, take the men 50 in groups so you can manage it, maybe up to 100. He took the loaves and he gave thanks and he started breaking it and passing it out to the disciples. Wouldn't you have liked to have been there and seen that? I break it and it's just as big as it was before. I break the next piece and the parts all become as big or bigger than what it started out to be. Jesus saw the people. They wanted him to take the land by force to become the political leader. Many of the crowd, some of his temporary followers, those who were following him for what they could benefit. Some might have just thought something like this, I'll eat the food, then I'll have more income for myself. And then we see a transition, or Jesus said it is written that man shall not live by bread alone. Doesn't this reinforce the significance of, of bread? And I realize I'm running out of time, so I'm going to uh, pick up my speed here a little bit. Jesus took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples to distribute. Jesus wants them, wants every one of them. Jesus wants every one of us to understand that they need God's help. He wants us to understand that we can't do it by ourselves. They couldn't do it by themselves back then. They could not have a full life. They could not attain peace and harmony with God. They could not attain salvation without Him. We cannot be self-sufficient. And you know the important thing to remember here is, folks, we can't deal with God on our own terms. It's His terms. It's His terms. Lord, your will be done. Isn't that part of our disciples' prayer? Your will, not my will. Your will be done. With that background, with that understanding of the importance of bread, Jesus was hitting him right between the eyes in his words. He's the bread of life and, and, and the the Jewish officials, the, the rabbis that were there wanted to stone him, wanted to get rid of him. This is blasphemous. They understood it. He presented himself as people's fundamental source of spiritual nourishment. More important than their primary and sometimes only source 
of physical nourishment, bread. There was a challenge about manna. Well, that came down. It had to be consumed on that very day. It was meant to be permanent, not permanent, uh, temporary. And it contained all the nutrients that they needed for that day, but it was for their physical nourishment. Jesus was speaking about the uh, spiritual nourishment. Bread sustains the physical body. Jesus sustains the spiritual soul. He came to give life to the world. To the uninitiated, it does not make sense. Jesus was talking about the real meaning of life. He gives us eternal life. Life that understands God, his purposes, and endures forever. So here's that question again. The one point, if you didn't hear anything else that I said, and if I said anything that I shouldn't have said, I hope you all forget it. But here's that one question in closing. Who do you follow? Is it Jesus? The question could also be said, who is Jesus Christ to you? Do we confess right now as a congregation that Jesus is the only way? Do we confess right now that there is no other way to seek eternal life? No other way to seek a relationship with God other than through Jesus Christ. And seeking Jesus Christ means he's already found us. He's reached out to us. He's called us. He's elected to us. But are we ready to totally surrender and stop trying to negotiate Folks, if somebody is here, there's some visitors that does not know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. If somebody here is questioning that, if somebody here is struggling with trying to understand how Jesus Christ could be the only way. There's a number of people here that you can speak to. Your elders are here. Chris is here. John's here. I'm here. Talk to us about it. Maybe if you've never really surrendered to Jesus Christ and said, Lord, forgive me for my sins. Enable me to live the Christian walk that I can only do through your strength. Speak to us. We'd like to meet with you and share with you the good news personally, one-on-one, the good news of Jesus Christ and that he died on the cross for you, even if you were the only one here on this earth. I'm going to close with a, uh, together, we'll say the Lord's Prayer. And I want you to think about each verse. Uh, I know some of the churches, because I travel around the state, um, they get a little annoyed with me because I don't use the Lord's Prayer every single week. When I use it, I try to focus on one verse at a time so we think about the full package, the full import. Let's say together the Lord's Prayer in whatever translation you are accustomed to, the meaning is the same. But I'll lead and you say it along with me. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, 
And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. May God bless you all.